Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tide into the storehouse so, there, so that there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, said the, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locusts for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will count you happy, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Thank you, Leon. Well, how many here want to be blessed? Raise your hand. All right. How many know what, what that means to be blessed? You know, I think we all have our ideas. I believe people right here could stand up today and say, you know, this is, it was right here where I found the Lord. I accepted Jesus here at Calvary United Methodist Church. Others could say, you know, looking back over the years, I can't believe the life changes that God has made and is making in my life. Or others would say, you know, if it wasn't for the generosity of people in this congregation, I would not be here. My family wouldn't be here. And, the, and they would talk about how somebody maybe gave them a car or rent money or a plane ticket or food or a phone call or a quilt of comfort or an opportunity to serve in some ministry. You know, missionaries and mission agencies would say, thank you, Calvary. Many lives have been saved and touched and blessed and ministered to because of your mission giving. Or I could gaze into the future and talk about God-given dreams of expanding, developing ministries which would further and accomplish our mission to know Christ and to make him known. Well, I'm not going to do all that. But today I'm going to talk about something that has everything to do with blessing. And if we get this right and put this principle into practice, I believe God will pour out blessing and he will rend the heavens uh, blessing is so much more than material. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 16, 11. Jesus said, you know, if you've not been trustworthy in worldly wealth, how, who will trust you with true riches? Think about that. The Bible says, you know, the way you manage your money influences how much God blesses you spiritually and how much he trusts you with spiritual blessing. He calls it true riches, you see, when God touches your heart, it'll change the way you make and obtain and handle and keep and give money. And so tithing is the biblical principle, like Roger said, of giving one-tenth of our income to the Lord. Let me say right away, the last thing I want is for this to come off as a fundraising sermon. That's not my intention, because we don't give to a cause, we don't give to a need, we don't, you know, we, we, we give to God. You know, it's a sacrifice to God. 
And I don't want you to wrestle with me or the finance team or the consecration Sunday team. We wrestle with God. So I chose uh, the, the, the famous tithing chapter in the Bible, Malachi. You know, Malachi was one of the last prophets. I call him the great Italian prophet Malachi, right? Uh, the times which he lived about 400 years before Christ, very similar today, religious leaders were failing to proclaim and maintain the laws of God. The house of the Lord was being robbed of its glory, and they were not tithing, and the offerings they did bring for sacrifice, they were blemished and diseased and crippled. Needless to say, they were not giving God their best. And it got so bad that God finally said in chapter 1 of Malachi, Verse 10, oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors. And on top of that, God's chosen people were intermarrying with pagan nations and failing to fulfill their rightly family responsibilities. Divorce and adultery were commonplace. The widow, the wage earner, the fatherless were not being properly cared for. And so Malachi's message was one of exposure and one of rebuke and challenge. And right at the, the heart of this prophecy, this faithful preacher lays down a basis for blessing, which I believe applies to all God's people for all time. In Malachi's day, the blessing was primarily material and physical. In our day, I believe the blessing is primarily spiritual. Remember, Jesus called it true riches. But the spiritual blessing often spills over into the material and the physical. And so, if the floodgates of heaven are to be open for us, I think three things need to happen. First of all, there needs to be a moral restoration. That's the first step. Malachi 3, 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. And he says, return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, God is saying, hey, when you get things right with me, I'm going to show up big time. You return to me, I will return to you. Like James says, draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Too many of us seek God's blessings and not God. Return to me. A moral restoration. Turning back to God, this restoration is initiated by repentance. It's a turning, a turning from sin to God, but Right away, they ask, well, how are we to return? And God says in verse 8, well, a man robbed God. Yet you robbed me. And then they ask, well, how do we rob you? And the answer from God is in tithes and in offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. In other words, according to the Lord Almighty, there's something morally wrong with not tithing. Remember some of you old-timers 40 years ago when the lights went out in New York City? Or you could think of a recent hurricane when things were disrupting the whole city. But in New York City, 40 years ago or so, they caught 3,500 looters. And they would have caught more if they had more police and more time. The lights went out, look what happened. And they say a test of a man's character is what he is in the dark. You see, with God, the scripture says, night and day are alike to him. And so we try to be sneaky. I know I do, and every time I do, I get caught. But God sees, God knows, a robber went into a bank, handed a note, to the teller, it said, give me all your money. This is a stick-up. And the teller wrote him a note back saying, straighten your tie, stupid. They're taking your picture. <laughs> well, I want you to know today that God's candid camera is always rolling. 
and darkness and light are alike to him. Whether we steal a gumball or rob a bank, Almighty God says, thou shalt not steal. And most of us would never think, really, of robbing a bank. Yet Malachi says we're stealing from God. We're robbing from God when we fail to tithe because the tithe belongs to the Lord. And it's a sin against God not to tithe. And we need to realize that and return to the Lord and repent. And here's the problem. We often give God our leftovers, you know. Second best, just like the folks in Malachi's day, instead of taking, you know, the tithe right off the top, giving God our best, our first, we give God kind of what's on the bottom, you know, what's left. And wise old Solomon wrote in Proverbs, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. I heard about a story about the Queen of England. She was walking by herself one day and it started to rain and she rushed to the shelter of the nearest cottage and a lady came to the door who was really kind of ticked off that someone would bother her at that time in the morning and she opened the door a few inches and, and kind of barked out, you know, what do you want? And uh, the Queen of England didn't introduce herself. She merely asked, uh, may I borrow an umbrella? Just a minute, grumbled the woman. She slammed the door and was gone for a moment and returned bringing the rattiest umbrella she could find one with broken ribs and holes all over it, and she pushed it through the door and said, here. And the queen of England thanked her and went on her way with the ragged umbrella, and the next morning, the queen's full escort, dressed in full uniform, pulled up to the front of the cottage. One of the escorts knocked on the door and returned the umbrella to the woman, saying, Madam, the queen of England thanks you. And as he walked away, he heard her mutter, if I'd only known, I'd given her my best. Listen, when you tithe, you're not giving to me or Bob or Blake or Bendigo or Beth or Alicia or Brian or Karen or Becky. You're not giving to the finance team. You're not giving to a need or to a cause. You are giving to the King of Kings. And someday we will stand before the King of Heaven. And some will be heard to mutter, if I'd only known, I'd, give, I'd have given you my best. The fact is, we do know. And yet, many of us still give Christ the scraps and the leftovers, whatever costs the least. We say we love God, but, you know, without sacrifice, there's really, there's really no love. Listen, because God loved us. You know, he gave us his very best, his only son. Can we give anything less than our best? Are we robbing God? There needs to be a moral restoration, which is initiated by repentance. There needs to be a change of heart. Return to me, and I will return to you. And Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, remember? He who has been stealing must steal no longer. So if the floodgates of heaven are to open, the first thing that needs to happen, there needs to be this moral Restoration. The second thing that needs to happen, there needs to be a material restitution, not only an attitude change, but a heart change. Our actions need to change. An old preacher I once knew in Stickney, South Dakota, he said the last thing to get converted is the pocketbook. You know, I think he's right. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Material restitution. In other words, if not tithing is a sin, and if not tithing is robbing from God, we need to quit stealing from God and start tithing, or at least kind of move in that direction like those steps on the sheet kind of indicate. Bring the whole tithe 
into the storehouse. The biblical principle of giving is, is consistent and absolute through the whole of Scripture. When we give, God blesses. When we withhold, God curses. I mean, look at verse 9. You're under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. See, when Jesus touches the heart, you know, something happens. Remember Zacchaeus? Remember that story? That, that little wee little man that climbed up the sycamore tree to see Jesus? Zacchaeus, he was this hated tax collector who ripped everybody off and he cheated people. But he wanted to see Jesus. Anyway, Jesus came by, saw old Zac up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. And that encounter with Jesus changed his life and his pocketbook. I mean, there was a material restitution. Instead of a cheat, he was consumed with what Roger was talking about, consumed with charity. Let me read you the words of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 9, 8 to 10. He says, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times. And then Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to your house. Has salvation come to your house? Has Jesus come to your house? As with Zacchaeus, Jesus will change your life and your pocketbook. And I challenge you to tithe and quit robbing God, a material restitution. If you were caught stealing today, I'm sure our courts would make you pay restitution. Well, God says, you know, it's time to pay up. No, I'm not saying just because you tithe, that makes you a Christian. Of course not. The Pharisees tithe, and they bragged about it. Remember Jesus told that parable about the tax collector and the Pharisee who went to the temple to pray? In Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee stood up, and he prayed long and loud all about himself. God, I want to thank you that I am not like all these other men, these robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I have. And God's probably sitting up saying, you know, big deal. <laughs> but the tax collector, remember what he did? He stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather then the other man went home justified before God. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, you know, you can give all that you possess to the poor. Remember in the love chapter? But if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's worthless. No, tithing doesn't make you a Christian. But you know what? A Christian is supposed to tithe. A Christian is supposed to tithe. People say, oh, Dave, that was the Old Testament. It only speaks of a tenth. In the New Testament, everything belongs to the Lord. And they use that as an excuse not to tithe. Folks, everything belonged to the Lord in the Old Testament, too. Psalm 21, or 24, verse 1. You know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Malachi shouts from the dusty pages of the Old Testament, will a man rob God. And God says the first 10%, I mean, if you make 100 bucks, the first 10 bucks goes back to God. Why did God say that? Beats me. I have no idea why he said that. I don't know why he said 10%. He could have said 20% or 30% or 50% or 90%. He could have said, give it all. It's all his. 
Let's remind ourselves of that. You wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't be alive. You wouldn't be breathing if it weren't for God. So really, everything you have belongs to God, and it's going back to him after you die. And he just loans it to you for 60, 80, 90, 100 years. God says, I want you to take the first 10% and give it back to me. And why does he want us to do this? Obviously, God doesn't need money. God doesn't need my money. He doesn't need your money. So why does he do it? Quickly, three reasons. Reason number one, I think the tithe is an act of gratitude. I mean, hey, this is getting close to Thanksgiving. Seems like the stores are going right to Christmas, but we can't forget Thanksgiving. It's an act of gratitude that says, God, I just want to remind myself, you know, every week that everything comes from you, and I wouldn't have anything if it weren't for you. So in gratitude, I want to take the first part and just give it back to you. It's just a reminder that it's all yours anyway. Another reason, reason number two, not only is it an act of gratitude, it's an act of priority. It says, God, I want you to be number one in my life, and to prove it, I'm going to put you first in my money. You might say you love God, but it's actually just lip service unless you put God first in your money. So I say, God, you're first. The first part goes back to you. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, too. It's an act of gratitude, an act of priority. Reason number three, it's a statement of faith. It's saying, you know, God, I know all those promises, you know, in the Bible that says if I put you first that you're going to bless me and to prove that, I'm trusting you. I'm going to give to you first. And God says, let's have a little giving contest you give to me. I'll give to you and let's see who wins. And there's no doubt who's going to win. God wants you to learn to give and you cannot outgive God. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. I know some of you are saying, Dave, I'd like to do this. I just can't afford it. And I would say, you can't afford not to. You want God's blessing in your life? You want God to bless your finances? And put him first in your finances. Bill Gates, the Bill Gates of a previous generation was a guy named John D. Rockefeller. Incredibly wealthy. Somebody asked him one time, how'd you make all your wealth? He said, well, it's the 10-10-80 principle. All my life, the first 10% I tithed to God, the next 10% I put into savings, the 80% left I live on. 10% to God, 10% to, uh, t- t- 10% to, uh, to me, and the 80% to, to live on. And if you can't afford to give the first 10% to God and the second 10% to yourself, it means one thing. You're spending too much. You're overextended. You, you pay God first, you pay yourself second, then you start paying off all your bills little by little and I think there are more promises in this book, more promises about money, management, and about giving and tithing than anything else. Even more information about finances than about heaven or about hell. Why? Because God wants us to be like him. Again, he doesn't need your money. He just wants you to learn to be generous and not stingy because God is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave. And if you're going to be like God, you've got to be generous. Proverbs 310, honor the Lord with your wealth, you know, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Give God the first fruits, not the leftovers. And so, if the floodgates are to be opened, three things need to happen. First, a moral restoration. Secondly, a material restitution. And finally, a miraculous realization. Look at verse 10. It says, prove me in this. Test me in this. 
It's the only place in the Bible, really, where we are challenged, actually, to test the Lord. Test me, and this says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. A miraculous realization. God says, test me. In other words, pay the price, prove the blessing. Listen, God's tithe is not his way to raise money. I think I wrote this in the bulletin. He owns it everywhere. God's tithe is his way to bless your heart and to teach you to trust him. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Prove me, test me, try God, prove God, believe God, trust God. See if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you will not have room enough for it. God is saying, I dare you. He's saying, I double dare you. I mean, it's the Pepsi challenge of the Bible, isn't it? One rural church was struggling. They were always struggling, and the annual meeting uh, was depressing. And they couldn't pay the pastor. They were behind in the heat bill. The mission giving was pitiful. They couldn't even afford to buy Sunday school material. And the situation was so bleak that no one would volunteer to be the church treasurer. And so after much begging and much pleading, a man named George says, well, I'll do it under one condition. For the next year, I don't want anyone to ask me what the balance is in the checkbook until the next annual meeting. Well, the year went by in a hurry, and as you can imagine, everybody was curious as to the financial condition of the church, and the annual meeting was, was packed. And finally, George got up to give his report, and man, you could hear a pin drop when George said, all the bills are paid. Pastor's salary's paid, heat bill's up to date, $20,000 has been sent to missions. Sunday school material has been purchased. I put $20,000 in a new building fund account. We had enough money left over to pay our volunteer organist the gratuity and enough surplus to possibly hire a youth worker for the coming year. And maybe even enough money to send two members of our congregation to seminary who sense the call to ministry. And I tell you, mouths were open. Everybody was stunned. And the silence was broken with the obvious question, you know, how'd you do it, George? And George kind of smiled, and he said, well, as many of you know, I run the grain elevator in town. And whenever you came to town with grain, I simply gave 10% of your grain check to the church without you knowing it. You all have been tithing for a year. I mean, it's like what Roger was trying to say. What would happen if every Christian in this church tithed? You talk about a miraculous realization. You do the math. Well, George might be in jail if he did that today, but the God robbers would still be in the church. If the floodgates of heaven are to be opened to us, three things need to happen. There must be a moral restoration, a return to the Lord in repentance, a material restitution. Give God all that you owe him of life and of tithes and offerings according to his promise, then you will experience this miraculous realization, the floodgates will be opened upon your life. How about you? Where is your treasure? Where's your heart? I mean, would you be embarrassed? You know, if, I don't know if people still use checkbooks anymore, but would you be embarrassed to let me see your checkbook? Or I guess it really doesn't matter if I see it or not because you're not wrestling with me. What matters is this. God's candid camera is always rolling and he's taking your picture. And some of you, I know, are hurting financially right now in different ways and all the more reason to start tithing. All the more reason to honor the Lord 
with the first fruits and to put God first. Some of you give an offering every week to the church, and I just say, thank you. Thank you so much. And, but you know, it's probably not even close to a tithe. I challenge you, the scripture exhorts you to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, to pay the price, to prove the blessing. This is your chance to test the Lord. Prove him, believe him. Teach your children to tithe, to be generous. He says, test me, try me, trust me. Some of you have never tithed before, and right now maybe your old hearts are pounding. You're saying, how am I going to meet my budget? I can't even do it without giving God 10%. Folks, that's the problem. You've got to bring God into the plan. God can do more with your 90% than you can with your 100 Let me tell you something. Tithing is not a money manager, just like what Roger was saying. It's a trust matter. Either God can do what he said he can do, or let's all go home and not come back. Amen? When I withhold, what I really say is, I really don't think that God can take care of me. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You say, well, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. You can do more with 90%. And God, as a partner, and you can with 100%, living in disobedience to God, because obedience really is the pathway to freedom. Folks, tithing is not meant to be a burden. It was never meant to be a burden. It's never a burden to obey the Lord. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is, this, is, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So be blessed to be a blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, just like we sang about today, you are a good, good father, and I pray that you will encourage first-time tithers, Lord, uh, people who are thinking and praying about that step. I pray the people who need to take that step of faith and obedience to you will say, God, I'm going to trust you. Lord, give them faith to believe that you're a, a God that can do exceeding abundantly more than we can ask or think, that they can trust you with their life, with their money, with their family, with their businesses. They can trust you. Lord, give them a sense of peace, even as they bring that first 10% to the storehouse or, or at least take that step closer, that you will open the windows of heaven as you promised and take care of them in every area of their life. Lord, we can trust you because you're God. And so, Jesus, let there be a moral restoration today a material restitution and a miraculous realization. Open the floodgates of heaven in Jesus' name. We want to be blessed, God, only to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.